0: I'm Andrew Schwartz, and you're listening to The Truth of the Matter, a podcast by CSIS where we break down the top policy issues of the day and talk with the people that can help us best understand what's really going on. To get to the truth of the matter about the recent visit of Xi Jinping to Vladimir Putin in Russia, we have with us two really special guests from CSIS. We have Maria Snigovaya who is a senior fellow for Russia and Eurasia at CSIS. And we have with us Lily McElwee, who is a fellow in our Freeman chair in China studies. Welcome to you both. So I want to start by asking you, Lily, this week's visit by Xi Jinping marks the 40th meeting between Putin and Xi since the Chinese leader came to power in 2012. He's met with Putin more than any other leader. Why was this meeting at this time, so significant in your view?
1: Thanks, Andrew. It's a real pleasure to be here. These leaders know each other very well and have spoken many times, both bilaterally and on the side of different events. But it is significant because it comes at a time when Russia is increasingly isolated, when its international power, prestige, and purse, essentially, are diminished And when Russia and Ukraine are gearing up to launch further operations in the spring and at a time when U.S. tensions are rising and President Xi is increasingly looking out in the world and looking for ways to build its international relationships as well as influence. So I think it comes at a strategic moment. and. I was actually surprised, given that, how little of the meeting was focused on Ukraine and how much it was focused on furthering, deepening the bilateral relationship between President Xi, President Putin, and China-Russia more broadly.
0: And Maria, to you, why was this meeting so significant for Vladimir Putin?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Vladimir Putin, for his own actions, left himself quite isolated in this world, and China is... One key factor to Russia's survival, long-term, even if in the stagnating and declining mode, uh, we've seen that one of the major issues uh, that been raised during the discussion was this project, the alternative gas project, the Siberian, the Power of Siberia 2, which is supposed to essentially increase deliveries of gas to China. Now that Russia. Cut itself off the European markets. So that's one uh, big issue why Putin was hoping to get his interest in the projects and further uh, increase further collaboration. As of now, I think China has become, as a result of the last year, number one Russia's export destination. And it probably will get even worse for Russia from mm-hmm. now on because other countries are um, essentially not willing to cooperate with Russia on many of these um, issues. Bloomberg has reported just recently that there is no indication that China is interested to increase the supplies of gas from uh, Russia. So uh, allegedly, this visit was not as successful as Putin was hoping to be.
0: Before I get to what I think is probably the real question, which is, are we looking at a new Cold War between the United States and China and Russia? I want to just ask, what were the actual takeaways from this summit? Love to hear both of your perspectives on this.
2: Definitely a reconfirmed cooperation between the two countries. But if you le- read the concluding announcement that uh, both sides published this year, and you compare it with what they published last year, it's actually very similar and looks like a copy-paste, which to me suggests that there's not a lot of breakthrough in this relationship, co- contrary to what we have been told. Overall, uh, the key imp- symbolical importance for Russia is that, despite the fact that Putin is now... and essentially is charged with horrible uh, crimes by the international court, They still apparently political leaders and very influential political leaders who do not shy away from going to Russia and meeting him. So the, symbolically that's important. It's, it's a opposition to the West, uh, to the collective West, as the Russian propaganda likes to call it. In terms of the specific achievements when it comes to like collaboration, we don't really know what happens with the munition supplies which Russia really needs from China and that's really a big deal for it there were no announcement made so uh, there is reasons to believe that China is reluctant to increase uh, supplies of munition to Russia in, to avoid becoming a recipient of the sanctions on uh, from the West on, as I mentioned already when it comes to the gas it looks like Putin was unable to convince China to further increase supplies of, of the Russian gas which is bad for Russia in the long term because as I mentioned There are not a lot of other markets. Looking at the overall trade between the two countries, it's been increasing, and it's clear that in the long term, Russia becoming more and more dependent on China, the trend that already existed before this war, but after the war, of course, accelerated to an unprecedented scale. These are essentially the major takeaways. I think overall, symbolically, it's important for Putin, but in terms of material achievements, not uh, so successful as Russia hoped.
0: Lily, from your perspective and from China's perspective, what were the key takeaways for Beijing?
1: I really think that Beijing came out with several key wins here. And I think she really used the trip successfully to advance several of its major foreign policy priorities, which are somewhat at odds, counterintuitively, but all three were advanced. And I'd like to point out, first, maintaining and deepening strong relations with Russia, which China sees as essential to pare back Western power and influence going forward. Second is maintaining ties with Europe, which I know sounds counterintuitive, and I'm happy to dig into that a little bit further. But as U.S.-China tensions rise, China arguably sees Europe as potentially a weak link in the G7 and critical to avoiding all, what it sees as all-out technological and economic containment. And thirdly, building influence in the global South. And I think just by having this meeting where she was clearly marketing himself and the meeting as a way to broker a peace in Ukraine and as an investment in being able to broker a peace in Ukraine going forward, China is keeping its hat in the game in the global South, which has been harmed economically by this war and the ensuing sanctions.
0: So let's talk about containment for a minute, Lily. You know, of course, Russia believes it's being contained by Europe and NATO and by the United States. What are the things that China believes that it's being contained about?
1: China has long seen the United States in particular as out to contain its economic development because it frames the U.S.-China relationship and the U.S.'s international position as seeking to preserve unipolarity, which has characterized the international system since the end of the Cold War. So it sees efforts like the October 7th export controls, outbound investment screening, further export controls expected, and some degree of convergence with U.S. allies on these measures as out to contain China's technological and economic development, which arguably it is designed to curb that development because, because the U.S. and its allies now see that development as facilitating China's military prowess and with rising chances of conflict and with rising Chinese assertiveness and aggression abroad, there is reason to do so.
0: And we have overt examples of economic containment. You know, for instance, the semiconductors policy that the administration and, and, you know, even today, March 23rd, Thursday, is a hearing up on Capitol Hill about TikTok and about whether the United States should ban TikTok. Are there also other tech and military applications where China believes the United States is trying to contain it, Lily?
1: Yes. So we had the semiconductor export controls. And as some of my colleagues at CSIS have have shared, these aren't the end of export controls. There will be further ones targeting, I think, biotechnology, quantum computing. These are just some of the areas where the U.S. feels that these are dual-use technologies, rightly, because they obviously have clear civilian commercial purposes, but can be translated into military uses as well. So these are areas where, given the blurred boundaries between civilian and military sectors in China, uh, the U.S. is no longer willing to, to share these technologies, particularly at the high end.
0: Do both Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin, did this meeting really reinforce their views about the United States? Did it align their views? And do you think, Maria, that this is the beginning of a new Cold War?
2: I certainly think it's a beginning of the new Cold War with Russia, though I really doubt at this point that the Cold War ever ended, right? It looks increasingly that we have a small period of thaw, but eventually the key old kind of preferences of the Russian elites never changed, partly because the Russian elite has never fundamentally changed since the Soviet times. There was never a true uh, rotation of the elite in place. I show that in one of my work. And so eventually as Russia got stronger as a result of this influx of energy, uh, we've seen the same kind of attitudes, the same beliefs, the zero-sum mindset re-emerge, resurface again. Uh, So from that perspective, we certainly uh, see the Cold War, it's inevitable, it's coming and certain policies of containment of Russia uh, on the Western side will be in place from now on. For me, however, and I'm really interested in Lily's perspective on that issue, it's a question to what extent uh, China is interested in, you know, total um, contestation and opposition to the West, given this really serious reliance on the trade with the West. In, In case of Russia, it's different a little bit. There was this reliance on energy trade, which we thought would constrain Russia somewhat. But ironically, it turns out that Putin thought That will constrain the West rather than the other way around, right? And he tried to use this energy tool consistently before, but of course, going into this war. Luckily, as we know now, not successfully, eventually. One small uh, takeaway, by the way, from the meeting that I forgot to mention is also the fact that contrary to previous expectations of Russia, that the trade will increasingly Switch from US dollar into Russian rubles. Now they are only talking of Chinese currency, trading in Chinese currency, uh, which is again uh, another indication that Putin is not really getting what he wants. He is now saying, Yes, I'm very happy that we are now switching uh, to trade into yuan, but in reality, <laughs> it's not at all what he was implying and saying at the start of this war. So essentially, he has to pretend things are great for him, while in reality, they're not so great at all.
0: Lily, what are your thoughts?
1: I, I tend to agree with Maria. I, I really, there's, there's an argument made that the China-Russia relationship is a marriage of convenience and merely rhetorical at this stage. And I don't, I don't agree with that. I think that there are enduring strategic economic, even security reasons why we're bound to see greater alignment going forward. And one is economic, and Maria mentioned this, Russia's a key source of energy. It improves China's energy security to have a close relationship with Russia on that. But beyond that, it's really a partner, and I think the un nominated trade is interesting, it's a partner in in shaping and contesting the global economic and monetary order, which is a clear goal of China's. And that was advanced to the trip. They will be pursuing joint energy projects in whatever form, but expanded bilateral trade and efforts to use local, mainly Yuan, currencies for trading, and then expansions of cooperation between the various trading blocks that each country has. But then beyond the economic front, I think a really fascinating aspect to me is the strategic front. And I would recommend to listeners an essay that Gideon Rockman of the Financial Times wrote in January 2020, before the Ukraine war, where he talked about the ways that China and Russia are aligned in their goals for the international system. And he pointed to these two U's. There's unipolarity, so contesting the dominance of the West in terms of raw material capabilities, but also universality, this idea that Western forms of democracy, human rights are universal and should be adopted by other countries. And I think we're seeing active efforts by China to contest that idea We've seen China come out with these different initiatives just over the past two years called Global Development Initiative, Security Initiative, Global Civilization Initiative. These are efforts to promote Chinese-style development practices, security practices, in ways that contest those of the West. So I think we're definitely going to see greater alignment between China and Russia on that front. And in terms of this particular meeting, I do think that China came away with a dependable partner in Russia in terms of amplifying their voice in global governance institutions like the UN. So voting together, for example, proposing candidates together, as well as advancing Beijing's ongoing efforts to expand institutions like the BRICS and the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, China-centered organizations that will be important in governance going forward.
0: So Maria, looking ahead, what are some of the key issues or challenges that you think will shape the Russia-China relationship in years to come?
2: First of all, uh, in terms of capacity to fully substitute for European markets, I mentioned that already, I think China has limits to that, right? For example, when it comes to this power of Siberia too, uh, Russia is very eager to increase gas supplies to China, but China has, for example, among other supplies to Turkmenistan. And there was actually, ooh, this, uh, nothing of that is new. That's another thing, right? We've seen this dynamic unraveling since 2014, where Russia also kind of tries to make the best of this so-called eastern turn uh, that's been unraveling uh, since then. But in reality is that there's just China is not willing to fully follow Russia's demands. Plus, Russia right now is clearly in a weaker position, so China can dictate uh, its rules. Uh, So that's one uh, limitation. Russia will have to keep searching for alternative markets for energy supplies. And it's unclear to what extent it will be able to fully substitute for what it lost in Europe. European markets at this point we can probably say safely they're lost for uh, for a long period of time. Another problem is I think generally this Putin is also unwilling right to become fully dependent on China even if he has put himself literally in that situation for his actions so we'll see we see this dynamic unraveling uh, consistently where he's kind of trying to please china but to an extent right china will keep pushing understanding that russia is now dependent so that probably will create some issues in the long term we've seen already that the duration of the visit maybe wasn't as long as originally expected there's some speculation on that putin didn't come meet at the airport again this attempt to demonstrate some strength on the Putin side, even if everybody understands that Russia is right now in the position of weakness. Last but not the least, we've published a report uh, last year talking about the um, broader transatlantic security implications of Greater Sino-Russian military alignment. Our general conclusion that despite growing, of course, cooperation on all sorts of military and technological issues between Russia and China, there is still a degree, a pronounced degree of distrust uh, between the two countries. There is a degree of, you know, strain in the relationship. The Russian side is very wary of Chinese attempts uh, to, you know take over, quote-unquote, uh, dominate uh, over uh, Russia and also potentially like take advantage of the resources that Russia possesses. And also on the Chinese side, they're not very eager to fully open up to Russia. That's, by the way, quite typical of autocrats, right? They're not happy with democracies, but they're not happy with each other either. Uh, that's just this natural dynamic probably will put certain limits to how far the relationship can go. And, of course, the key issue on everybody's radar these days is the military assistance uh, to Russia in this war. The munition supplies remains the key question mark, but we've seen, we've seen of course, growing cooperation on all other areas. In particular, the import of semiconductors, uh, drones, a lot of those things, not necessarily even illegal. Uh, we've seen repeatedly while working on our forthcoming report on the effect of sanctions on Russia's defense industry that you a lot of the details you can literally purchase on AliExpress. In Russia so it's a it's a version of Amazon essentially Chinese Amazon Uh, so that is certainly something that Russia highly reliant on China and of course the big question is to what extent China will be willing to assist uh, Russia in providing all of those supplies given that China probably does not want to see Russia fully defeated a degree of cooperation and increasing cooperation will continue in that regards but to the extent that does not hurt uh, Chinese strategic uh, long term positions against the West as well. So I think well, China probably will avoid being uh, sanctioned by the West. So, the, although that cooperation will sort of try to fly under the radar.
0: But, Lily, the Chinese have tried to position themselves as the peace broker in Ukraine, which, of course, was the overarching issue in this particular summit. What's your take on China positioning themselves that way?
1: I think it serves two purposes for China. First, it really speaks to the developing world and the global south, which, as I said, has been affected by this war and ensuing sanctions economically, but also has been affected more broadly by the return of great power competition, whether it left or not is another debate, but the acceleration of great power competition. To some degree, there's an incentive to play different powers off each other to gain tactical advantage. But to a large degree, any geopolitical developments that curb free trade and investment will affect the development environment of countries in the global South. So I think by positioning itself as a peace broker there, it's saying, we're on your side. We know that development is important to you. We know that you're being hurt by sanctions. And we're the ones who are trying to bring this conflict to an end. And by the way, the U.S. and Europe by supplying weapons to Ukraine are not. So it's an effort to build influence in the global south. And I also think that, you know, I've mentioned relations with Europe, and I think that these are really a wild card for China in, in positioning itself here, because on the one hand, it has provided economic and diplomatic support for Russia at the very least in terms of its war effort. And clearly strengthened ties between the two leaders uh, just over the past year. On the other hand, arguably, because of those strengthened ties, China is now positioning itself as one of the only powers, and Xi in particular, one of the only world leaders that could feasibly, meaningfully bring about immediate mediated de-escalation because of his close ties with a, an increasingly isolated President Putin. So, I think China's really trying to balance a lot of different priorities right now. And my question is, how long can it do that? It can only market itself as a peace broker for so long before countries start asking questions about, well, what concrete actions are you taking? The peace plan that it released was not seen as a credible, concrete contribution to peace in Ukraine, particularly in Europe. So I think especially European powers are gonna begin to start looking for concrete action. So I think it's a useful marketing tool for now, kicking the can arguably, but I think there will be a reckoning at some point.
0: Yeah, it seems like more of a charade. Maria, what's your take on that?
2: Yeah, absolutely the long-term strategic deepening between the, of the relationship between the two uh, countries, but again, this weakening position of Russia and Russia's le- reluctance to accept uh, its weakening uh, position, this relationship will probably keep constraining the two powers. Uh, I wonder to what extent it's possible uh, truly for two, the two countries with fundamentally maybe different, maybe not, but quite different interest uh, in where the international system will be going, headed next, right, to achieve this cooperation. Given that Russia clearly wants to undermine the international system, uh, China's desire to undermine the international system is less clear to me. Right, Russia, China has a lot to benefit uh, from the current status quo, and its international influence is growing. Uh, so from that perspective, it seems to me that strategically the interests of the two powers are not necessarily that closely aligned. Russia will probably uh, just keep being increasingly exacerbating its dependence on uh, China. And it's really unclear to me to what extent Russia will be able to achieve the goals in the long term, right? It's a proxy war, right? But in the war that Russia is essentially fighting against, not just Ukraine, but the West, and the total economic power combined is 40 times larger than the, the Russia's GDP. So... It's just impossible, I think, in the long term for Russia to fundamentally alter the situation. And it does not really seem to me that China is that eager to assist uh, Putin in his long term goal to destroy the international order, as we know it.
0: Lily, finally, I want to ask both of you and start with you, Lily. Are there any major disagreements between China and Russia of note?
1: I think Maria indicated some just then in terms of in terms of approaching the international system and i'm just more familiar with the chinese side but i definitely agree with maria that there isn't an intent to upend the international system but there is an intent to make it work better for china and the furtherance of china's goals and aims so i don't think china wants to you know abolish the un or anything or, or you know the imf world trade organization these international multilateral groups but what it wants to do is to pare back Western influence in those organizations, boost Chinese influence in those organizations, whether that's through voting shares or the leadership, and make them better conduits for China's values and China's interests rather than what it sees as the fact that the, they've been conduits too long for Western influence. So I think that might be one disagreement. And and as you know, as Maria also hinted, I think. China continues to rely on key technology components and economic relationships with countries in with advanced industrialized democracies in Asia and Europe, as well as the United States. So I don't think that it's in a position to take any actions that would completely curtail those relationships.
0: Maria, final word on this.
2: Yes, uh, as a result of his actions, I think uh, Putin, the Kremlin, they put themselves in a very uh, difficult situation and there does not seem to be a great way out. The only thing that they were able to do right now, right, is to rely increasingly rely on China, as we've seen it. But as Lily has pointed out too, right, the the fundamental or future outlook of the two countries appears to be quite different, and that is probably one of the key points of tension. As at the time, understanding that Russia is becoming more and more reliant on China in the long term, so eventually it will. Probably we'll have to accept the, the, future, the vision of the future the way China uh, sees it. And of course, as I mentioned before, there are underlying uh, fear, mutual suspicion, trust issues in this marriage of convenience, or maybe not <laughs> of such a big convenience which will probably continue hunting this relationship and why uh, we on our side should be wary as to where this is going, right? And definitely implement all sorts of tools to constrain this relationship and prevent China from uh, supplying more of the materials and uh, technologies to Russia. I think there is limits on what is achievable for uh, China and Russia going forward.
0: Well, Lily, Maria, thank you so much today. This is really informative and Helps us get closer to the truth of what's going on between China and Russia.
1: If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit CSIS.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog.